people who care about the weather and listen to it on the radio, and that's just about everybody, rarely stop and think about the federal weather forecasters who originate most of the information the rest of the industry uses. Now, those forecasters, they work for the National Weather Service, have a whole new system for managing their own careers. No more PhDs classified as interns. Joining me with details, Kevin Cooley, Director of the Office of Planning and Programming for Service Delivery at the National Weather Service. Mr. Cooley, good to have you on. Good morning. It's great to be here, Tom. Tell us about the new personnel system for handling your forecasters. Well, it's, it's a new career progression for, for meteorologists. The series is the same, but the way that we manage the progression of movement from different grades in that series is, is being improved. It, it, the, the, the term for it is a career progression or a career ladder. And what was the old system and how has it changed under the new system? This is a really great thing for the forecasters and meteorologists in the National Weather Service. Before the new career ladder, the way that uh, a meteorologist would be promoted to the next grade was intersected with the filling of vacancies. So a forecaster to move from a GS-5 level to a GS-7 level would need to compete for a vacancy at the GS-7 level. And, uh, and there would be job announcements and there's a, a recruitment process. And it, uh, it, it consumed a lot of time on part of the, of the meteorologist and uh, the staffs in the forecast office. With the new system, the forecaster or the meteorologist can be promoted uh, once they do two things, one, they have to be eligible for that promotion, and two, they have to demonstrate the competencies necessary to perform at that higher grade level. So in both cases, they, the, the, the competency issue was, uh, was paramount, uh, but in the, with a career ladder, uh, they don't necessarily have to go through uh, sitting for uh, a vacancy and a recruitment action, and it makes it a, a, a lot more effective for the forecaster themselves as well as the management team and the government. In other words, you've taken the death watch factor out of being promoted if you're a weather forecaster. Yes. Now, people that join this profession at whatever grade level, GS5 through 12, many of them are already highly trained and knowledgeable people because I was reading the requirements and you've got to do differential equations. This is not just something you, you learn as a craft, is it? Oh, that is correct. These are, these are professional degreed scientists. And the uh, the amount of skill and experience necessary to uh, to produce forecast watches and warnings is uh, is very high, uh, and that is combined with uh, the dedication necessary to uh, to practice that work at uh, on a shift schedule. Uh, so there's people that are working at three o'clock in the morning doing this every day, and under conditions of uh, significant stress. When a tornadic activity is occurring or significant uh, precipitation or hurricanes or, the, for example, the mudslides out in California, I mean, these forecasters know that uh, lives are at stake, and they take that very seriously. And so this is a combination of very, very dedicated and extraordinarily competent and skilled individuals to do this work. Now, if someone achieves those requirements for moving up the ladder – on the scale, and their supervisor or the head of the National Weather Service decides, yes, they are to be promoted. How does that square with budget requirements if prior to that they would have to wait for an opening? We're managing the, the budgetary planning and support for the offices. 
so that budgetary issues are not a constraining factor in an individual moving up the career ladder. We budget for forecasters to be able to to be promoted effectively without being constrained by that. We're speaking with Kevin Cooley, Director of the Office of Planning and Programming for Service Delivery at the National Weather Service. And for many years, the idea that the government needs a way to promote people who are professionals so they can move up in the ranks, but still doing their profession and not necessarily move into management where they no longer do the thing that got them there. Is this part of what's going on here? These are all uh, forecaster positions. So the, these are individuals that are that are that are that are producing forecast watches and warnings on a daily basis. There are other positions, both in the forecast office and in the weather service in general, that are managerial or supervisory positions. Uh, the, the, these the positions we're talking about here this morning are forecasters, and that's the the center and primary function that they are accomplishing when they're when they're in these positions. It makes it easier for the forecaster to progress as they demonstrate the competencies and establish their eligibility. And it makes it more clear to the forecaster uh, what competencies are necessary to progress. But in both instances, the forecaster had the option or opportunity to progress without necessarily having to stop forecasting and enter a management or supervisory role. So that's to say you did take the vacancy aspect, and now they can just concentrate on the job itself to move up. That is correct. They no longer have to, for example, compete for a vacancy that might be in an office that's in another geographic location that they may not want to work in. They can, they can move through this career ladder and maintain their geographic position, and that takes some burden off of, of the forecaster in terms of requiring moves uh, when they compete for positions that are, no, that, are, that are not in their current office. And what do you expect this to do to recruitment and retention for these jobs? I think that it is going to be a, a really great thing for both recruitment and retention. Uh, an, an example on the recruitment front, in our old model, we labeled the new forecaster employee as an intern. And uh, we're no longer going to do that under the career progression. There'll be forecasters. That was, that was a, a point uh, that we heard loud and clear from our workforce. So uh, we won't be recruiting interns. We're going to be recruiting forecasters, and, and that's going to help us. The other, other uh, re- way that this is going to help recruiting is that it, this new career ladder is going to enable greater flexibility and adaptability in the forecast office. And that means that forecasters are going to have a, a greater opportunity to do more things in the forecast office and to team and, uh, and conduct their work in ways that uh, are best suited for that, for that local forecast office. And so newer forecasters that uh, demonstrate competencies are going to be able to advance and get involved in doing um, more complex and meaningful work in their, uh, in, their, in their career. And that's good for both recruitment and retaining uh, highly qualified individuals that are interested in engaging in the most complex forecast watch morning problems. In the old system, yes, you had interns at the lower pay scales and then general forecasters. Now everyone is meteorologist. And I guess what I understood is that you had people coming in at the intern level labeled that might have been PhDs or might have been experienced forecasters coming from outside. They would, they would certainly have advanced degrees either at the master's and, and in some cases the doctorate level. 
Uh, so uh, the, in, ter- in terms of the, um, uh, the level of education that, uh, that, the, that our, new, our new forecasters are presenting, it's a, it's a very high level uh, of education. And in some cases, you have individuals that not only have that education but have experience in forecasting in, in, in other environments, whether that is military service or in the commercial uh, weather industry. So this, uh, this definitely uh, avoids a situation where you're taking somebody that has that level of academic uh, background and qualification and uh, other experience and then label, labeling their job as an intern. And when does this all become effective? Well, we have announced our, uh, the beginning of our implementation and so there are, there are a series of activities that we need to, to complete to affect a transition from the state that we're in now to, the, to having fully implemented the, the, the new career ladder. And we expect to complete all of those steps by the second quarter of, of fiscal year 20. Um, but we, we are going to engage in uh, training forecasters and supervisors and that's starting basically in March, and that will happen through through the spring and early summer. And then we'll handle the conversion of our GS-11s meteorologists into the career ladder progression over the summertime. And we expect that the uh, the conversion of of those individuals will occur uh, in in the July timeframe. So it'll be training in spring, conversion of the first portion of the population over the summer, and then we'll deal with. Um, with uh, five sevens and nines in, in, in sequence between this summer and the second quarter of FY20. Kevin Cooley is director of the Office of Planning and Programming for Service Delivery at the National Weather Service. Thanks so much for joining me. You're very welcome, Tom. It's great to talk with you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.